Welcome to Louise's Health Kick podcast with Louise Mercier. Louise is a nutritional therapist, award-winning author of How Food Shapes Your Child, and a presenter on Early Years TV Food Channel. As well as all this, Louise is the force behind the Health Kick, promoting a healthy lifestyle without the contradictory and often misplaced advice in the world of nutrition. In this episode, Louise interviews Dr. Camilla Benwali, discussing the challenging subject of childhood obesity. This goes beyond puppy fat and looks at the real health issues our children may face, and more importantly, what we can do about it. The future can indeed be in our hands. We're focusing on childhood obesity. So I'm delighted to bring back our paediatrician, Dr. Camilla Benwali, who is going to be sharing with us her experiences and views on not only childhood obesity today and current health problems, but how is that linking in with future health and future health problems? So welcome, Dr. Camilla. Hi, are you okay? I'm great, thank you. And thank you for joining us. So I think when we start to talk about obesity, I think we need to be clear to say to people that we are coming at obesity from the perspective of health. We are focusing very much on not judging anybody on their weight, not body shaming. This goes for adults and children. We are coming at it from a health perspective and nobody is better placed to see that health perspective than you within the NHS. So just as a a sort of introduction to what you see, what would you like to bring into the, the conversation initially? I think it's really important that we stress that we're not here to, you know, somehow make a victim out of the, the kids or or even the parents. This, that's not what this conversation is about. It is just about trying to better understand why we're having a problem and how we fix it. And that's individuals and as a society, but it's not individual people that, you know, are going to be blamed and have fingers pointed at them. Absolutely. I think that is a really good point because I think we are talking, you know, about a global health problem, um, which is has got progressively worse over 30 years. Yeah. So there's obviously quite a few fundamental reasons as to why that's happening on such a large scale. And obviously to blame one individual for that is is completely, you know, it just doesn't make sense, yeah. does it? And um, there's obviously been so many changes in our general landscape. So we've had increased stress, we've had decreased movement, we've had a decrease in um, nutrition generally. So poorer nutrients and with food and fat loss it's not just the 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 big things it's the little vitamins and minerals that help us to get rid of you know body fat so all of these things not just an excess of food are what's contributing so it's it's I think we we treat obesity as a as a complicated combination of issues um internal and external and I think as, as as long as we look at it that way we can kind of detach from body shape and size and shape and things like that and actually look at it as a combination of medical things that are caused by a combination of lifestyle things but I don't like the term choices because nobody would choose food that makes them you know put weight on and be unhealthy it's it's the choices that are available unfortunately that's fueling that and that's you know that's especially true of children Mm because you know they're not necessarily at an age where certainly not consciously anyway are they making that choice that's that's something that's happening subconsciously or is happening because somebody's made a choice for them. We regularly talk about children not having a voice when it comes to food choice and mm. their 
palate development, their taste preferences and their health is kind of shaped with the food that is put on them. So whilst we think it might be lovely to give a, you know, an under one year old some cake or chocolate because it will be cute to see their reaction, actually it is shaping a a taste expectation, fueling a taste for sugar and sort of starting all sorts of things that actually generally make an adult's life a little bit harder. But the longer we can not introduce the foods that start to create the problems the better in my opinion because that child is not aware of them until an adult brings them in Um, and once you do it's then quite hard to reverse that and and go back to not having it or not having it as often because of course it's it's like oh that was delicious I want that now not broccoli you know Um, which is just completely normal and natural but not really what we want to do we can't cover what is the cause of obesity because that's a very big, um, it's a very big topic. But what, what factors is in your perspective medically, because it is a medical condition, isn't it? It's not a lifestyle choice. It's a medical mm-hmm. condition. So what factors medically would you say contribute together to, to create the condition of obesity? Well, I I'm, would say a huge proportion of it is um, marketing and advertising um i think you know even when we were kids it's like you have four channels and then halfway through our childhood we have five channels mm-hmm. and it's like oh wow there's an extra channel at least one of those channels had zero adverts whereas now children have got a multitude of you know channels to be watching on tv um you know and adverts in new places adverts on you know kids youtube adverts on this adverts on that mm-hmm. even just things like adverts on buses the job of marketers is to make your children want that food mm-hmm. so Absolutely. they will do exactly what they need mm-hmm. to do it's painful but they have child psychologists as part of the team to tell them how to create the advert to make the child want the food they certainly have an increased exposure, as you say, but unfortunately, the foods they're exposed to are also quite different, aren't they, to what they exactly. used to be? Yeah, so that's just what I was about to say, is that mm. the exposure is to processed foods, inevitably, because a natural food, you can't really brand and then sell. So mm. by definition, all of the foods that you know would be advertised and would be marketed is processed food. Um, And it's processed in such a way. Again, we know these things exist now. We know that there are food engineers and food scientists whose specific job is to make you have a bite and want more. The way society has developed is that people have less time or they certainly feel like they have less time. And again, I don't necessarily think we have less time. I think we're made to feel like we're very, very busy because we're constantly doing something. But actually not much of that time is necessarily productive time. Um, You know, we have less time, so we reach for the convenience foods, the processed foods that we've been shown, you know, and we've had these messages telling us that this will make us really happy. Um, And they are foods that are created with physiologically the things that the body finds most addictive. So like you've mentioned sugar already, salt, fats, and, you know, so so the, the marketing is there to kind of push food onto children. The yeah. food that they're being pushed onto them is food that is more likely to cause them to overeat. Yeah. Um, and less likely to give them the, the actual nutrition, as you mentioned, that they really mm-hmm. need. And that goes for adults as well. You know, the, the number of adults in the UK that are hitting their what would be the recommended fibre target is ridiculously low. 
Um, mm-hmm. And that target even itself is very conservative. Yeah, it so is, we yeah. know that a lot of people aren't feeling full and then they're eating again, you know, an hour later, two hours later. So that mm-hmm. for me, that's a massive one. Um, and we definitely move less. We definitely use less calories mm-hmm. than we used to. Um, so that is part of the issue. Um, and, you know, some of that is more of us live in cities, fewer of us live in the countryside. Some of that is screen time. Um, again, some of that is more parent families now have two parents who work. And so there's, you know, less time for, for a parent to be present, to be doing things outside with kids. And um, we're not necessarily teaching our kids um, that you don't always win that you have to be resilient, that when you fail at something, that's okay, and you just try again, that mistakes are totally acceptable. Um, And I do think because of that, we have a lot of children who are less able to deal with their emotions and deal with Mm -hmm. adverse events. Mm -hmm. And the, the most obvious crutch, even for adults, is food. You're already likely somewhat addicted to it, you know you have to have it so you can kind of justify, you know, and not that I'm saying a four-year-old will go through this thought process, mm-hmm. but it's a very, you know, there's very few things, physical things for a four-year-old to help them make them themselves feel better if they don't have, you know, psychological techniques or, mm-hmm. you know, parents who, who are, are right there ready to recognize it yeah. and support it. And so people do reach for food. Um, I mean, those are just three very broad categories but Mm -hmm. you know it's so complex there's you know changes in hormone profiles um all over kind of developed countries anyway um Mm -hmm. those hormone profiles are changing our appetites and changing how we eat it is key to keep stressing that this is a very complicated combination of things and and the advice given um and I've heard it by doctors. I know it would not be by yourself, but I have heard it from doctors. Well, eat less and move more. It's it's not really addressing that complicated combination of factors because actually they may not be able to eat less. As you say, they mm-hmm. may actually, we covered on last month's um, episode, we did trick or treat and we covered um, the whole sort of neuroscience of the food relationship and, and with the treat mm-hmm. element. So that, that comfort, that reward, that feeling, that emotional attachment that we have with food and why yeah. we go to it. And it's not always, it's not always a conscious, even for adults, it's not a conscious decision as to no. why they're going for it. Um, yeah. So just to say, to stop doing that, is actually probably impossible for most people because if they did stop it and they would feel terrible their mood would be very low even more than it was and they're probably going for the food because their mood is low um and so I it's think just in it, the context of children the family unit is essential mm-hmm. because you know the especially the younger the child the more as we know that child is imitating what they see or um they have very little control over their environment. So actually saying eat less and move more on a very basic physiological basis, that's not necessarily bad advice. But what you're not doing is then giving the next step, which is eat less by finding out what it is Mm -hmm. that is causing somebody to eat too much Mm -hmm. and move more by finding out what it is that they enjoy or, you know, what, makes them joyful or you know there's there's I mean and there's another million stages behind that isn't Mm -hmm. there but actually 
it, it doesn't take very much to go one one or two steps further and kind of help that family find ways to find that information mm-hmm. and then signpost as to how they can then start to get on top of something. It can seem like a mountain that's just like, I just don't know how to start to tackle this. And sometimes if something seems like too big an issue or too big a problem, what's the easiest thing to do or the safest thing to do? It may feel like the safest thing to do is just to pretend it's not really happening. What we're saying is change doesn't need to be scary. Um, Mm. It can be done in very practical steps in terms of understanding what's led to it in the first place is key um, because we need to be able to establish not just what's on the plate, but what's driving the food to be on the plate. So this can be in terms of the parents putting food on the plate for the child. Why are you putting those things on the plate? Probably because they're your taste preferences. So we probably need to start with your Mm -hmm you know, palate and your taste and your emotional relationship with food. Because as you rightly say, whatever mom and dad or guardians do, so will the child because they they just copy, mimic, don't they? Whatever is happening in that home. So certainly recognizing what is the issue. And we don't going to expect every family to go and recognize the issues within themselves, but just to understand that we don't just singly say to, say you have an, an overweight child, we don't then say to them, right, we're all going to go on a diet because so-and-so needs to lose some weight. So we're not going to have crisps anymore. We're not going to have chocolate anymore. We're not going to have pudding anymore. And I, you know? like that, actually, that brings up a really good point that even if you, even if it's not accessible to you to actually find out, to dig a little bit deeper and find out what are some of the deeper issues, actually, even if you can't do that, the, the most basic thing you can do is to make things as lighthearted as possible mm-hmm. so literally the opposite of what you've just yeah, described absolutely. so you know um you know they like you said you don't there doesn't have to be any mention that yeah. that particular child needs to go for a walk yeah. because they're fat yeah. you know the whole family goes for one yeah. because it's a lovely day outside yeah you know? absolutely it, it does not absolutely. need to be mentioned at mm-hmm. all if we're singled out for anything we feel a bit different and we don't like that so it's well, not you just to do tap, with weight. Don't you? You feel mm. unsafe. Mm-hmm. And the last thing you want a child to feel for any reason is to feel unsafe. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And when we talk about emotional attachments to food with a child, it can be quite hard, I think, to recognize those sort of those symptoms of uh, of an addiction to food or, or of an emotional attachment to food because normally they would be perceived as behavioral issues, wouldn't they? So when we see a child mm-hmm having a tantrum um, because they're say in a supermarket there's a big display of sweets which always at children's eye level and you know they really want them and the person who is with them doesn't want them to have them so they're not going in the trolley that day so what happens you know emotional Mm -hmm. meltdown it's not a behavioral thing it is that is the emotional attachment that is the addiction representing itself physically isn't it looking for traits of emotional attachment to food or addictive tendencies towards food um, can be displayed as sort of behavioural characteristics, but it's not that the child is being naughty or misbehaving. And we have to remember that a lot of changes in a child's behaviour are biological, aren't they? So a, a yeah. drop in blood sugar, or that you know they're they're hungry, and children can get quite aggressive when they're hungry. You would know your child best in that situation. If your child, I mean, the only caveat to that is that if your child is equally likely to have a tantrum about not having a toy, that's mm-hmm. a dis- for me, and this is completely mm-hmm. personal um, views. This is not, you know, as a pediatrician, but to me, that's more of a parenting style, upbringing, discipline issue that you you haven't got quite 
right for your mm-hmm. family dynamic. But as you said, if it's like very specific to yeah. food, then that's obviously, you know, I remember even at medical school was, you know, we always talked about the biopsychosocial treatment of something, you know, if we were talking about an illness, but that applies to anything that applies to this kid having a tantrum. So mm-hmm. there is a biological physiological element in that also is is the rest you know so if that child feels like I don't know something's unfair because their brother had one yesterday but Mm -hmm. they don't get one tonight nothing is done in isolation of each other you know everything in Mm -hmm. the body happens interconnected with each other so there's there's always more to it than just kind of one aspect of that model you know, we can't have one thing happening in the body without a knock on somewhere else. And I think yeah. that's why we look at obesity the way we look at it, because it isn't just somebody, you know, carrying some excess weight. There are many health conditions um, mm. that come with that. And with obesity, we know there are sort of some comorbidities that are directly as a result of the weight and many others that are increased risk of certain things as a result Mm. of carrying excess weight but it's just sort of to summarize in that because that's a big topic that we certainly haven't (laughs) got time to cover everything but just to summarize specifically for children um and specifically so two two points to this question now Camilla um Mm -hmm. so for children specifically when they are carrying too much weight what physical health symptoms are they going to feel and and then the second part of the question is if a child has carried a lot of weight throughout their childhood, what what does that then mean for their future health in terms of the, the increased likelihood of certain things? So I think one of the main things that um, people, as I say it, people will probably recognise, there's kind of two things with, on a day-to-day basis, what happens or what does a child experience who's carrying a bit too much weight. One is fatigue. Mm. Of all descriptions, you know, they don't feel as strong. They're not as awake. They maybe don't focus as well. Mm. Um, and that's for various reasons. One is um, if it's kind of getting in the way of them moving very much, then they're not kind of creating their own energy. They're not keeping their metabolism high. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they will have slumps. A lot of it is to do with wild blood sugars. Um, And so in the slumps of those blood sugars, they will feel really tired. And obviously that, you know, that's not a nice feeling in itself anyway. Um, But in the context of childhood, you know, schooling and education is happening for the most part at that time. And if you're Mm -hmm. struggling to focus or you're struggling to stay awake then obviously that's a massive knock-on effect and it, it could actually get them in trouble in the classroom couldn't it because yeah, absolutely you know, teachers have got up to 30 children in a class you know to be dealing with and if yeah. one child is seemingly not listening not concentrating and the other thing for me is the effect on um their their growing body um so there will be an effect you know if they start to have a lot of fat deposition around their organs their organs are not working as well um, their joints are going to be under more stress, their muscles are going to be under more stress. Um, and that is all potentially going to be either painful or uncomfortable actually on the day or have a knock-on effect um, in mm. the future. Surely by yeah. adulthood, we are then looking at an increase in hips, yeah. the knee replacement. And for children, as you say, they want to be able to run and jump and play and keep up. And the mental health side of 
of not being able to do that, I think for me is where some of the real deep-rooted long-term damage starts to take place. The actual food you put on the plate is not necessarily the first place that you start or Mm. exercise is not necessarily, you know, it might just be tickling your child, you know, and and that is a form of movement and it's Mm -hmm. fun for them. It might be um, you know, racing around your table. It might be a little dance party after mm-hmm. dinner. It can be a whole load of things. It doesn't actually need to be framed as exercise. Don't call it exercise. Don't mm-hmm. even call it movement. You know, just just call it a game. Just call yeah. it, you know, a challenge, anything. Not fitness challenge. Never use those words. But, you know, just, just anything just to get people moving together as a family and not isolating maybe the one person who you think yeah. does need to do it more, but including everybody in that because it, mm-hmm. then it's it's moving some of the mental health and the stigma and the self-esteem issues that come with unfortunately do come with the weight and do go Mm -hmm. very much into into adulthood and our adult relationship with not only our body but with food so in terms of the future health I mean we've covered um obviously the impact and the strain on on sort of the the joints Mm -hmm. um, and internally I know you mentioned organs but kind of obviously we're seeing sort of I mean, I've, I've, there's certainly been a huge increase in the number of type two diabetic children, which is, you know, and, and I'm, and I mean a very rapid change in that. And for me, that's huge in two, there's two kind of separate things is that I think it's important for people to understand medically just obesity on its own has, is a massive predictor and a massive, risk factor for lots of other things like you said but then obesity itself is more likely to cause things like diabetes is a huge risk factor for diabetes and then diabetes will increase your risk of those things all over again so you're kind of if you get into that area you're kind of doubling your risk almost because you're getting the risk just from the the body fat itself and then you're getting the risk from the effects of the body fat Mm -hmm. Um, so the top, you know, the top four or five causes of death in the UK in adults, um, obesity is a risk factor for every single one of them. Yeah. In a public health point of view, mm-hmm. it, it is an absolute medical scientific fact. I don't want people to look at that and think, oh, God, now I'm at risk of blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. I want people to understand, oh, so I'm actually more in control than I thought I was. I actually have the ability to decrease my risk of being unwell. Like, that's amazing. Because equally, you can tell yourself that you're, you know, to blame for something. Or you can tell yourself, oh, yeah, but I can actually be my own hero. And I can reduce that risk or reverse that risk. And that's what I want people to take away is that, especially if you're parents or carers, you may feel you were involved inevitably if your child is is overweight or, or obese. Equally, you can be involved in reversing that. Just putting that positive spin on what can we influence? What can we control? How can we shape our whole future? And how great are we that we're able to look at how we can future-proof our own and our children's Absolutely. health yeah. by putting things in place that can reverse a lot of these health statistics that are not set in stone. But that is based on if we keep going the way we're going and doing what we're doing and Mm -hmm. the the increases in things like type 2 diabetes that we are seeing. We don't all need to turn into perfectionists. That's not the point at all. There's also a lot of evidence to just say that being a happy person and leading a joyful life reduces your risk of a lot of health issues as well. So you don't want to be 
so in control that you know there's no room to have fun especially if you're a child Mm -hmm. um but even the small and the other thing is that I think a lot of people will underestimate that the small things you do every day consistently will make a huge difference in the end um so we need to not underestimate the small things we do you know every choice to give your child water instead of squash or whatever it might be is an absolute step in the right direction and should be celebrated you know and especially if you're struggling with that or you're right at the beginning of trying to make more healthy choices for your family and it is simple things like try having dark chocolate instead of milk chocolate or milk Mm -hmm. chocolate instead of white chocolate because you just gradually reduce the sugar at each color change um and it's so it's not oh you must never eat chocolate it's just Mm -hmm. let's be mindful of how we eat our chocolate and be aware of the health differences between them everybody Mm -hmm. can enjoy chocolate if you so wish but be aware that there's you know three times as much sugar in the white one as there is in the dark one and it is just simple things and little baby steps and little changes rather Mm -hmm. than right from tomorrow we're not having any of this when nobody's doing that and that's like whoa it's like a it's like too big a change yeah too quick too much one thing that I would just like to bring up um is the whole notion of children being overweight and being sent to certain diets or told to count calories we have covered my perspective on this and how I how I don't like that side of things when it comes to the word diet or counting calories um what would you kind of bring on that on that side I think for me it depends what the current situation is I have had very extreme cases where it's like if significant changes are not made in the next two weeks something very serious is going to happen most of the time you you don't need to go to that extreme but it depends on the family the child the dynamic the capabilities of the family to be involved or you know so in general I would say it's not necessary um but again that depends on how invested the parents are um you know for many of the parents who I've met that is not the main priority and the things that are the main priority are not going to change anytime soon. And so those families need very small steps because yeah. you're not going to be able to have that clear conversation with parents who, if they don't get their paycheck that Thursday, are going to get kicked out of their house. Yeah, you know? and yeah it's different. So it totally depends. But yeah. I feel like in general, the message to the children um shouldn't have any particular harshness to it because I just don't think that's necessary or particularly yeah. going to work but I do think there are parents and carers who need to be made to understand their part to play and sometimes that can be quite blunt and quite harsh when we talk about sort of approaches and steps to take I think we have to remember that there are very different pockets of populations who will need very different sort of messages it's good to remember I suppose how mixed and diverse society is in terms of the the Mm. help and advice that we can provide here in terms of our information Um, and one thing that often will come up with regard to that kind of thing is the cost of being able to eat healthily against the cost of what we know to be wrong but the offers that are available yeah in all of the supermarkets and all of the shops which are there to purely to lure you to the foods that we know are addictive and palatable but nutrient devoid you know you walk into some supermarkets and they're piled high as soon as you go in the offers you know they're all there um it's quite hard to get around that when you're on a budget and think to go and plan and prepare and shop 
but it can be done and we we mm. always give recipes that are nutritious and extremely economical um yeah. yeah but even just putting in basic practices like you do a weekly shop that you've planned and when it's gone it's gone we shop on a friday or we shop on a saturday yeah. and if you've eaten it all then you've eaten it all yeah. you know there's no more no that's a very and, good point I used to love Friday night because that was yeah. when they did the big shop and we had food I had two older brothers so you know I didn't get much you of a look in there quick <laughs> <laughs> but no it's very true I mean I, I'm guilty of that myself of just oh we've run out let's go and we'll you know we'll replace things but actually so yeah. my child isn't aware of you know that and I think this is what we've got a bit wrong of you know children don't really know how to wait for things maybe they're just they're just given too much our kids are not being brought up in the same society that we were being brought up in and I think anybody who finds that a difficult statement either doesn't currently have children or I think is just a little bit closed Mm -hmm. to the reality of what's going on you know everything is available 24 it's just taking that processed convenience food which has caused all the problems in the first place yeah and bringing it into your living room into your living room absolutely yeah without you even having to walk to the shop to get it so (laughs) but what I want to just sort of summarize we've touched on how childhood obesity can shape future habits and future health and and the statistics of the future really are related to the children of today. So when we look mm-hmm. at those statistics of, you know, UK obesity to be one, to be 50%, isn't it, by 2030? So 50% of the UK to be classified as obese by 2030, yeah. which is a horrendous statement. And that, I don't know the figures for sort of the 90s um, when I was at school, but it, it it's so different. So how can we, I mean, given that and how, you know, how terrifyingly quick the change has taken place. I mean, how long can we kind of sustain this pace of change and I, decline in our health? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I think the the something like 80 to 90% now of illnesses are lifestyle related. And even if you just sit and think about that, it, mm. it is just mind blowing that you know, in some way, shape or form, 80 to 90% of us are either proactively or subconsciously allowing ourselves to be unwell. A very odd concept when you put it like that, but I think part of the reason why it's been able to get like that is because of the drip feed of change over 30 years. So nobody's noticed that they've gradually been feeling more and more Mm. rubbish and when I do you know people are just like well I just feel achy I just feel tired Mm. I have a bit of you know yeah I can't really concentrate very well but that's just what happens no it doesn't need to awareness is the beginning of change yeah so just being aware this is what's going on this is what it's going to lead to you know and and sometimes having difficult moments with yourself where you think you know do I want my grandkids not to know who I am because I'm not here anymore mm. or do I want them to to think that it's normal that when you get to an old age you're not well I can make changes now that, that doesn't mean mm. that my diet is perfect or my exercise is perfect or my sleep but it does start to make those little steps happen more often and yeah. so you start to build a momentum is it because people genuinely don't see the things that we see and 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 you know aren't aware of these facts like 80 90 percent of you know conditions lifestyle led our children have a decreased life expectancy I mean these things are terrifying 
But what we can do is, as you say, awareness. Mm-hmm. And I think non-acceptance. We always talk about acceptance, but not accepting. So not just accepting everything at face value. So yeah. my responsibility is to myself and to my family. And I think that's probably, in a way, we kind of all need to be a little bit more selfish, mm-hmm. you know, just mm-hmm. but thinking for our families as opposed to, oh, well, this is easy, so I'm just going to take it. Yeah, it's been lovely having a chat with you because mm-hmm. it's so nice just to hear your sort of the medical knowledge and the expertise that you bring, but also, you know, as a mum, as the busy mum and, and just the sort of the, the personal side of, of not just you as a doctor, but you as a as a mum and a human being. And I do know doctors are human beings, but I think sometimes people can forget that about doctors in Absolutely. a way, can't they? Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time with us today. It's been lovely having you once again, and I'm sure we'll have you back. Because it's so <laughs> we can have to chat about. But thank you for being with us, Dr. Camilla. And uh, we will see you next time. You've been listening to Louise's Health Kick podcast with Louise Massier, discussing all things health and nutrition to show you that food and health are intrinsically linked and teaching you how amazing you can feel. Find out more at www.thehealthkick.co.uk or read her book, How Food Shapes Your Child, or get in touch on social media. This is a 1386 audio production.